Please stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, welcome to Grace in Peace Church. I'm Vincent Hoppy. I'm the pastor. We are starting the book of 1 Peter, and then we'll go straight into the book of 2 Peter afterward. But I'm going to start off this morning with this. When you're strange, faces come out of the rain. When you're strange, no one remembers your name. At least says Jim Morrison of The Doors. Maybe he was experimenting a little too much with psychedelics, but Peter is reminding a group of people who feel like strangers in a really strange time. And that's what 1 Peter is going to be teaching us, how to live as a stranger in this strange time. He's encouraging a church, a young group of people in this region to hold on to hope and how to live faithfully in the strangers of times. The purpose of 1 Peter is given in chapter 5, verse 9, where he tells them that they are to stand firm or resist. Or maybe in chapter 1, verse 13, where he tells the listeners, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So, as long as you are a Christian, you find your hope and identity in Christ. That's the most interesting and wonderful thing about you. That's what you would want to tell people and what you can't help uh, letting other people know about you. And you... When you do this, you will find yourself a stranger in the world. The major themes of 1 Peter include Christians are to live as visiting foreigners and resident aliens in this world, and that they, most certainly, will suffer with Christ as strangers, but they have his hope. Maybe I'd give you an outline since we're opening a new book, because you know some of you like to take notes and are academic little weird like me, I think. So, verses 1 through 1, 2, what we read today is the greeting, grace and peace to you. That's what he says. And then in verses, uh, chapters 1, verse 3 through 2, 10, Peter reassures the faithful in their hope in Christ. Then in 2, 11 through 4, 11, he tells them how to live godly lives. In 4.12 through 5.11, how to have power in suffering. First Peter is describing the Christian life, lived in tension with the current way of the world. It's like living as sojourners and exiles, he tells them in 2.11. It's a conflicted life. It's a life in tension. You know what it's a lot like for me? It's a lot like going to Denver for me. You want to know why? I don't like going to Denver. Here's the reason why. Because I am not cool. 
Okay, that's the reason why. I always feel like an outsider, like a stranger. I sit down at some cool restaurant to get my crispy Brussels sprouts with some green goddess dressing. And I look around and I'm all like, everyone's wearing like Patagonia vests. And I look outside and everyone has like a brand new Forerunner or some like Tesla with a Kuat like bike rack and a Yakima ski rack, like they do all the Colorado things. And I am driving in a 2005 Honda Odyssey with French fries crammed somewhere in the leather seating, and I am pretty sure all the paint is going to chip off. But I am always super self-conscious, wondering how in the world did I get here as if this was a Talking Heads song. Talking Heads 80s, really cool. You go check them out. So, whenever I'm in Denver, I always feel like a stranger. And you know that feeling too. It's a lot like forgetting your, your locker combination in middle school. That's what it feels like. You're like, what in the world am I doing here? It is a nightmare, and you're hoping that you're going to wake up at any second, right? That's the way it feels. And Peter is saying, that's the Christian life. It's feeling strange, feeling a little bit like an outsider, uncomfortable with the way things are going, uncomfortable with the way things are. You're always kind of like, I don't know, so, I'm not so sure about all that stuff. You see, 1 Peter tells us how to live as foreigners. And the way that we live as foreigners is all determined by who we are and whose we are. In a lot of ways, it is an identity question. The spotlight comes on you. You need to ask yourself, in the moments of pressure, in the moments of difficulty, who am I? What's going to come to the surface? And that's what is going on with these first century Christians to whom Peter is addressing. It is built, their, their identity, and this audience is built together. They are together, and they have unity based not so much on ethnic or racial or religious identity, but on a new identity united in the person of Christ. First century Christians were a minority. Their views were un misunderstood. So much so, Christians were called atheists because they did not hold to the belief in the, in the pantheon of gods. Nor did they, did they, uh, they were also called incestuous because they called each other brother and sister. And then they married each other. Like Everyone's like, brains are breaking. And then it gets worse. They were called cannibalistic because they would come together and they feasted on the flesh of Jesus Christ their Lord. They're like, that just sounds weird. So this crowd is probably feeling misunderstood. They're feeling the pressure while living in a world that is against them. Later, there would be widespread persecution. But for now, Peter's addressing the misunderstandings and the feelings that you have. And what does he say? It's okay. That's what it looks like to live in Christ, to find your hope in Christ. You're going to be seen as weird. For, First Peter is an important book because, like, like the rest, like, because it's a lot like the living in the first century world right now. Christians were minorities. Our faith and morals are kind of backwards to people. Biblical Christianity is in the minority right now here in the Western world. Not only that, we are feeling a lot of pressure from our culture. Our views on sexual ethics are considered bigoted. 
Our universal claims are considered intolerant. The exclusive claims of Jesus Christ are considered narrow. And more than that, we're seeing now that Christian views are changing. And we're not just talking like, like that, that the pressure is making us change, you know, little things like the way we do music and different things like that. That's fine. But we're seeing big things. Surveys are coming out that views on the Trinity. That the one eternal God existing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is waning. Like, in the first century, they decided Trinitarian faith was like the bedrock. This is the, the Christian faith. And now, here in the 21st century, they're deciding, eh, not so much. So things are changing. And there's a lot of pressure. And so what's going to come out? What identity is going to be revealed out of you and I? The views of Christianity are strange in our post-Christian climate. And at worst, they're being seen and, it's consi and considered as dangerous. The pressures of this world will cause us to either doubt or to go further down that road and deny. But because our identity is not won by our performance, nor secured by it, we can have the security we need. Why? Because the performance and the verdict and the security is already in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is your argument. He's making the arguments for you, not you dreaming up the arguments in order to have this airtight, logical argument so that the world will approve of you. Rather, Jesus Christ has made you approvable before God, and you could stand in the face of the world and say, all right, give me your best shot. But it's still going to hurt. Peter reminds us that you are a Christian not because of your arguments, not because of your morality, you are a Christian because of Jesus' arguments for you, on your behalf, based on his moral performance for you. Shallow Christianity, where the security of the faith is built on experience, performance, or knowledge, it will inevitably be more susceptible to the pressures of the culture. Christianity built upon the solid rock of Christ, an identity settled in his love for them, and lived in the community of others with brothers and sisters next to you who are also minorities. We'll still have our doubts, we'll still be troubled, but in the end we'll have a lot more confidence and hope in the dark days ahead because our security is not based on our performance. For non-Christians, the morality of Christianity is going to seem weird or strange, isn't it? The beliefs will seem narrow, but you get a challenge. You need to wonder, if you have questions and you're a skeptic, uh, what if Christianity is true? I'm going to also ask you, is it also beautiful? Are the claims of Christianity beautiful? Those become good questions to ask. You see, because every person, if you're going to deconstruct views or ask every Christian to deconstruct views, you need to be able to deconstruct your own views as well. Why, why have you arrived at your antagonism against Christianity? I would ask you to challenge and consider the coherence of your own beliefs and the beauty of your own beliefs. Does it make you love your neighbor or does it cause you to look down at them and scorn them? What beliefs do you hold that make Christianity strange? If you find yourself as a, as a person who has deep doubts and skepticisms, ask yourself that. 
Peter is also now going to challenge and encourage his listeners to conduct themselves with holiness. Not like the way the world does, but as strangers and aliens facing persecution. To be different. To stand firm in the faith. Setting your hope on the grace that will be brought to you at the, time, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says, resist the devil. Stand firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout all the world. Peter greets these listeners in the regions of Turkey. Living under Roman rule as a follower. He greets them with grace peace. Grace, this is what they needed to experience in the standing before God based on his word that was given to them as a gift and not merited by their effort. Peace would be familiar to Jewish listeners. It is from Shalom that they were to live and have the life of relationship with the Father. This was part of the Arianic pre, uh, benediction that said, Peace be to you. Shalom. That they could live at peace with God. And Peter greets them with this. And they experience, and the experiencing of this continually, and rejoicing in that, and letting it abound and wash over you, was the thing. That made them strangers. It was their identity. Peter says you're a stranger in, the, in this world. So let's consider from whom this letter is written. And to whom it is written. From whom and to whom. So from whom. Peter identifies himself as the author. And traditionally that is whom scholars believe wrote this. In 5.13 he says that he's in Babylon. Which is figurative language for Rome. Tradition says that he'll be crucified upside down there. He's feeling the pressure of his faith, ain't he? While he's addressing them with the authority of being an apostle, he's also speaking as one who folded under that pressure at one time. His authority as an apostle was not one achieved by his gifts or talents or his abilities, but one that was ordained upon him by the Lord in his restoration of him later. Peter's authority is not one gained from a strut, but formed from a limb. Remember, this is the same Peter who replied to Jesus' query when he asked, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter replies, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, bingo, well not really bingo, he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, I tell you, you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail over it. Peter's probably like, boom, checkmate, guys. Look at me now. And then almost immediately, what does Peter do? Peter tries to rebuke and correct Jesus. What is homie thinking he is doing? It just sounds weird. He tries to rebuke and correct Jesus. Yucks. And Jesus replies with, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Yucks. You know, if Peter was careful, he probably would have gone back and said, hey, let me see those manuscripts. Because there's a few things I need to edit out. And so you're like, let's, let's erase this one because I look like an idiot here. <laughs> unless, unless it was actually true. Unless this is part of his witness. That he went from being a total bonehead 
to being someone who will be crucified for his faith in the one who's crucified for him. This is where it's going. It gets worse for Peter, though. When the guards come and bring, to bring Jesus in, Peter, what does he do? Being Peter, of course, he pulls out his sword, cuts off one of their ears, and Jesus replies, Oh, put away your sword, for all who take up the sword will die by the sword. Then, we, then when approached by, about his allegiances to Jesus, probably a small child or lad say, Hey, uh, weren't you with him? Jesus is saying, or Peter's like, oh, no, I don't know. I never knew the man. And he does it three times. This is Peter. He is a doubter and a denier. And what happens? Peter then, after denies Jesus, he goes off back to fishing. He's back to fishing square one. And where does Jesus come and restore him? In the place. Back fishing. Peter's a denier. That's who's telling these people to hold fast. It's Peter. So why listen to Peter? Because he knows the grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's one who's been pierced through by God's grace. And so Peter, he can't come to you in pride nor accomplishment. He, but with humility in himself and confidence in God, the one who restored him. And so Peter comes and he pleads with you, stand firm in your faith. Peter is a doubter and a denier. It's all written about. So be careful. Be careful for those, those leaders who have nothing that they're afraid to reveal. Because they will always be protective of their standing. They will always feel vulnerable. And if you encroach on them, they will lash out. Good leaders in Christianity are those who limp. Those who know it isn't because of their charm, their planning, their leadership, or charisma that gets them to where they are now. It is only the grace of God. It is only the grace of God. And God's people know that we sit here and all that we have is by His grace. Therefore, we should all model God's kind and gracious love to others because we have not earned it. Peter didn't earn it. Christianity is a religion for those who don't have it together. It's for those who need to be saved. And it is upon that truth that Christians daily lean on because when we are weak, He is strong. God's grace was sufficient for Peter, so hold on to that. You know, he had that legitimate deconversion moment. Today we see people leaving the faith under pressure that our present culture presents. We see it in things like the evangelical movement and deconstruction. Some have left Christianity or the evangelical church, and they have rightly pointed out the problems of spiritual and emotional abuse, sexual abuse, misogyny, abuse of power, the rampant consumerism, and they're right to point these things out. They're right. We are a church of mess-ups. But as Augustine says, <coughs> abuse does not rule out proper use, meaning the abuse of Christianity or the Bible does not preclude the proper use or practice of it. 
We may all need to reconsider the ills of the church and look for the health of its Savior. We all need to be those who can be truthful about the ugliness in the church and ourselves while fixated on the beauty of our Lord. When we take a look at many of the terrible things in the church, we will find that at the bottom of those things have been the confusion of God's kingdom and our kingdom. We think that we need to protect our kingdom somehow. We have forgotten what it's like to live as a stranger and alien in the world. To live in a life where as a passing pilgrim. And it is not lived by taking up the ways of the world to save our position, but giving up our power for the good of others like Jesus did. It means that we become people of deep prayer, honest reflection with ourselves, giving feedback in our churches, we engage with the best arguments of our opponents. We treat them with tender love. And we engage the world with humility and not with insecure, vulnerable strength. We approach the world with an open chest, not a puffed out chest. With a limp, not a strut. The biblical theologian, biblical scholar N.T. Wright puts it this way about 1 Peter. But the way forward for Peter in the church is not to call the church to pout, plead victimization, and weaponize its grievances through political action. Peter calls on the church to be encouraged to be strong, to follow Christ's example, and to resist pagan culture. Beyond that, the church must demonstrate an attractive way of life. Give no cause for retaliation. Show respect to those in authority. And where appropriate, bring the faith into expression with existing cultural forms. The mission of the church today then requires the tasks of resistance, apologetics, and contextualization. And Peter comes with the authority of his experience, and that experience is one of grace. You feel that estrangement in the world? The difficulty of being a Christian in this time? Good. That's how it ought to be. If you feel too at home here, maybe you are. Peter was one who experienced God's grace in the gospel, and you're invited to. And so who are you going to trust more? Are you going to trust Peter? Are you going to trust some talking head on a newsreel? Who are you going to trust more? I remember seeing a commercial a few years ago that took place in a surgical room. You could hear the beeping in the background of their heart monitor. And then the doctor says, how's his BP look? Like, good. He's like, good. Close him up. Then he pulls down his surgical mask. And she goes, wait, you're not Dr. Stewart. He's like, no, but I did stay in a Holiday Inn last night. <laughs> you see... Staying at a Holiday Inn won't make you smarter, but it'll make you feel smarter. You see, a lot of us have, are just talking heads. You know, in the Bible here, and especially Peter, is a real deal. He's experienced God's grace. And are you going to approach living in this world as a Christian from a talking head on the news that makes himself feel smarter because he read a book? Or are you going to take it from Peter, who has experienced God's 200-proof grace in the gospel? I say take it from Peter.
Peter. He keenly knows the extent of God's vast love for him in Jesus Christ. Take it from him. Listen carefully these next few weeks. But then to whom is this written? Peter addresses his letter to Roman citizens in modern-day Turkey. It's probably a mixed group of Gentile converts and also Jews. It is evidenced by the quotes of Old Testament scriptures. That's how you know that there's a bunch of Jews. But he also mentions at the same time, in about 2.11 or so, that they are leaving the passions of their former ignorance, he says. And they are then now this reconstituted people then of Jew and Gentile. They're reconstituted and formed under the covenant lordship of Jesus Christ. So then, the people of God are not just Jews, but Jew and Gentile together. It means Jews and foreigners, people of the nations. Peter, throughout his letter, will remind them or bestow upon them that what would normally be said of Israel. He says to this group of Jew and Gentile, he says, Oh, uh, you are a spiritual house. A holy priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you. From the beginning of the church, this diversity of Jew and Gentile, of mixed races and mixed diversity getting together in their worship and then settling together on a unified set of morals sets them apart as strangers and it testifies and witnesses to the world who their God is. And so he's talking to a mixed group of peoples. The diversity of the church, socioeconomically, racially, ethnically, is, is to show the, the universality of this one God. So Peter now starts by reminding them who they are. He talks to this mixed group and he tells them, you are the elect exiles. The elect exiles of the dispersion. And he's not talking about a literal dispersion. He's using imagistic language to frame their life in the current regime of Rome. That they're living in the empire, but yet they're to be pilgrims headed for a better place. They're to have different values, ethics, norms, and ways of being in the world that will seem strange and feel strange to people. In the time, in this time, this pressure, they needed to be reminded of who they are. Why? Because if you put the right pressure, like in a centrifuge, and you spin it around, what happens? The truth of what constitutes this mixture will be separated. And in the moments of pressure in Christianity, what happens? Your truest identity filters through and comes out. So the Christian life, in this one, whenever we feel stress and difficulty comes, the real you will come to the surface. The Christian life is not found, is not found by uh, trying to keep it all together. The real you will always come out. So what do we do? We need to continue to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. And how do we do that? It isn't by experiencing God on top of a mountain. It isn't by uh, you know, having nice tea and coffee at home in my quiet, lonely moments. But it is found in reading God's word corporately, together as a people... Worshiping this true God together and experienced in eating his sacrament together. That is how we are formed and how we are reminded of who we are in the moments of pressure. 
Christians, he says, are to be elect, to remember their election. They need to remember that they are those, and according to this word elect, that they are called out to gather before God. Very much in the same way that God calls a people out of Egypt to be formed and shaped as a people for his mission. To gather around the tabernacle for worship and to be transformed so that they may go into a land and be his people and proclaim his excellencies. And so this is who they are to be. And so this is evoking the language of Exodus 19, which tells Israel that they are called out of Egypt to be his treasured possession, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. Paul says that this is not the result of works that no one may boast. This is to form the identity of the people. They are elect. They're in covenant relationship with God. And this forms our identity. It is in, it is, this is the, the unifying factor of our community, that we are created and redeemed by the work of the triune God. So let me put it this way. You should feel more at home and more kinship with the person sitting next to you, although they may look different from you, they may drive different cars, they may go to different schools than you, then you are to find kinship with those in your same political party. Your gym. Your cycling club, your co-workers, your neighborhood. Because these people that you're sitting around, these are your people. Because we are God's people, we should hang together. Peter says, if you're going to live life as a minority in this time, you guys have got to remember your identity together in community. So Peter uses then three modifying phrases to help them understand themselves. Notice that the work, he mentions all three persons of the Trinity. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is how they're brought into his peace and shalom. He says, it was according to the foreknowledge of the Father. Here, this foreknowledge doesn't just mean that he foreknew someone as if he was able to write it down on a test. But that this knowing is in the covenantal sense. It is a relational knowing. He has set his love upon these people. And that is why they are his. He loves them because he loves them. And it is without any merit on, their, on, on our behalf that we've gotten it. Then it says by sanctifying or consecration by the Holy Spirit. Meaning they are set apart by the rescuing work of the Holy Spirit to enlighten their hearts. Making Christ known and working in their midst and uniting them to the work of Jesus Christ. And then it says this little tricky thing. It says for or into obedience. And what this means is, is the obedience of faith as it is in Romans 1. Or faith in the covenant. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. There's a sub substantial difference between obeying God for God and obeying God to get something from God. And then he says, and by sprinkling. Here, it is evoking the language of Exodus 34 where the covenant was renewed and the people were sprinkled with the blood of a sacrifice. That they are covered, that they can have covenant relationship with God because they are marked by the blood of the sacrifice. 
And Peter says, Jesus is that sacrifice. Peter's saying that the covenant, the relationship that they have with God on their behalf is what makes them strangers in this world. Notice that this identity is one that is received and not achieved. This is the story that has designated them as different. The modern person, though, the modern person lives with a life or our identity that is achieved or expressed. There's some problems with this, though. You know what it is like. Your friends say, you be you. Well, you know, just do whatever you want, so long as it makes you happy. There's two problems with that. One, it's highly individualistic, right? You're accountable to no one but yourself. And what you need to do is you need to find everything out for yourself. You'll end up being isolated and alone. No one will ever have the same story or identity with you. Your main identity is whatever you have done for yourself. Next is that it is performative. It is achieved. And the problem with having a performative identity is that you're only as good as your next performance. Let me put it this way. There are times you could step into church because our culture has this performative identity problem where this, in the act of being here, you're wondering, am I doing Christianity right? And what has happened is that you have been pressured into thinking that your identity is performative. That's the problem with the modern person. And Peter is speaking to people whose identity is received and not achieved. The performance mentality will burn you out. It will never be sustainable. The Christian life and identity is one that is received and not achieved. The life that is received, the judgment that is accomplished on your behalf by Jesus, this is the gospel. So, be prepared for suffering along with Jesus as a stranger in this world. Be prepared for it. And whenever you feel this pressure, remember who you are. Many of us need to reflect on what we're building our identity on. What's going to surface, we need to ask ourselves, if we were to have this pressure. Peter reminds us, this is who you are. You're the beloved of God, elect exiles. Do you feel strange here? Do you feel the tension? Good. A few months ago, one of my kids was crying in the backseat of our car. And I asked her, well, what's going on, honey? And she said, I don't really fit in at school. I feel strange. She doesn't like how she was being treated by the other kids. Immediately, the kid sitting next to her looked at her and said, Sister, I love you, and I'm going to stick with you. And all of a sudden, you can see that child, and as I'm looking in the back in the rear view of the mirror, rear view mirror, I see her, the tears kind of start to go away, and she puffs out her chest a little bit, because she was reminded that her big sister had her back. And all those other kids better watch out. Okay? 
And what that did was change the confidence in the way that she was going to approach the world. It was okay for her to feel a little strange in the classroom because Big Sister has her back. She has an identity in a family and with a people. And that this could change everything. The Christian story tells us that God the Father has sent his son, our true older brother, to come and remind us of our place in the family. And the Holy Spirit awakens us to that reality. When Jesus comes under the pressure of Roman crucifixion, what comes to comes is his love for you to be in his family. That's his true identity. In his moments of suffering, his love is what keeps us close. You are a stranger in this world, but you can face it because Jesus died estranged from the family, so you can be a family member. You are not alone facing the pressures of this world. Let us pray. Our great God and King, you have won us and brought us into relationship with yourself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us remember your grace for deniers and doubters like Peter. And let us remember that we, as a diverse people, are loved into a family by our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to show that covenant love to others, to bear into the world tender mercy and kindness for others to reflect your glories and your goodness. Help us to resist isolationist tendencies. Help us to resist culture war mentalities. But help us to be people who live sacrificially for one another so that your glory may be known in this world. Amen.